Well, last Sunday we, um, we started this walk through Ephesians. We looked at the, the opening verses, the two opening verses of the book, and there were two things that, that kept appearing in those two verses. Paul tells us that he writes the letter, and he's writing the letter to people in Ephesus. And there were two things that he had to say about himself. The, he, he said that he was called by Christ Jesus, and he was called by the will of God. And the people in Ephesus, he said two things about them. Do you remember what the first one was? Oh, come on. Have a look around. What did I tell you to do? Look around. Who's sitting beside you? Saints. Saints. But faithful saints. And so he tells us about the two, those two things. And then there was two things that he wanted them to experience. Grace and peace. And those come from the two sources where he got his authority. They come from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Now you'll be pleased to know that this morning I'm going to speak on one sentence. All right? Just one sentence in the Greek. It starts in verse 3 and finishes at the end of verse 14. And it's all one sentence. Now I want you to picture the scene. The Apostle Paul is imprisoned in Rome and he's writing to people that he knows, people that he loves, and he's bringing the, his thoughts together and he starts off with a prayer. These, um, these verses from verse 3 through to verse 14 are just, just, just a prayer. And, and he pours his heart out to God. And once he starts to, to write, to speak, he just, he just runs one thing into another. And so, as it appears in the Greek, it is just one sentence. Now, his usual format, whenever he's writing to a church, is this. He will greet them, as we looked at last week. He will greet the church, and then he will pray for the church. But this letter is completely different to the others, because he doesn't pray for them immediately. He prays to God. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. And the prayer is in three distinct sections. Verse 3 to 6, verse 7 to 12, and verse 13 to 14. And each section is punctuated by the same um, words in the Greek to the praise of his glory. It's translated in, in verse 6 as to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. And verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Three distinct sections to the prayer. In verses 3 to 6, he talks about what God has done for us before time. In verses 7 to 12, he talks about what God did for us in time. And in verses 13 and 14, what God does for us through time. Verses 3 to 6, 
relate to God the Father. Verses 7 to 12 relate to God the Son. And verses 13 to 14 relate to God the Holy Spirit. Now, you want to see this morning that in one sentence, he talks about what God has done for us long before Genesis 1-1, before the creation of time, and what God is going to continue to do in time, through time, until Jesus comes back again. And it's all in this one sentence. So let's, let's have a look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, the first word, praise, in some of your translations, it might read blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a word that's only used when speaking about God. And so he is, he is blessing God. He is uplifting his heart and he is praising God. The word comes from um, the Greek words oi and logos. It's the word that we get our word eulogy from. So that whenever someone takes a funeral, they'll, they'll meet with the family and they'll find out all the good things about the individual because we don't want to talk about bad things whenever people have passed away. And so all we want to do is talk about good things. And so it's, it's eulogy. It's a good word. And here's what, what the Apostle Paul starts this prayer with. Good words to you, Lord. Good words. It's only good words that he's got for God because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. He has lavished spiritual blessings on us. But he tells us where he has lavished these blessings on us and he says, in the heavenly realms. This little phrase is only found in the book of Ephesians, in the whole of the New Testament, in the heavenly realms. Five times. And we need to understand the heavenly realms so that we understand exactly what these spiritual blessings are. Initially, when you read it in verse 3 here, it seems as though heavenly realms means heaven, the place where God is, the place where one day we will go. And that's true. But let's go ahead. Let's, let's have a look at where they are found. 1-3. We've been blessed in the heavenly realm. I don't want to speak too much on these because I will deal with them as we go through the letter. But in 120, in another prayer that he prays, he says this, that God raised Jesus from the dead 
and placed him at his right hand. Jesus is in the seat of authority in the heavenly realms. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, whenever we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we are seated with Christ positionally in the heavenly realms. In chapter 3, verse 10, he says, it's, it's the role of the church to make known the mystery of God in the heavenly realms. And then he says in chapter 6, verse 12, that we don't struggle or fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. Now, when you put all of this together, he's not talking about some pie-in-the-sky place. What he's talking about here is whenever God has done anything in the heavenly realms, it's in the here and now. It's for here, it's for now. Our struggle now, God has blessed us in the heavenly realms. Jesus said that the kingdom of God would be within us. And what he's got to say today about what God has done for us, what God did for us in Christ Jesus, what he is doing for us through his Holy Spirit, it's, it's all for our benefit in the here and now. I want to put it in terms that, that I can understand this morning. What he's trying to get to is that it is me knowing who I am in Christ and holding on to him when bad things happen in the here and now. So in my terms, I would say what he's trying to say to me is in the darkness of this fallen world where bad things happen and sometimes there are no explanations as to why they have happened, when it, you look around and it seems as though evil gets away with things and evil has the upper hand, remember this, God is in control. He raised his son from the dead, the worst thing that possibly could have happened to Jesus, God turns it around for our good and he brings life back to Jesus, raises him from the dead and sets him in the seat of honor at his right hand, the seat of power, the seat of authority. Jesus himself said at the end of Matthew chapter 28, all authority in heaven and earth has now been given unto me. Now you go and you make disciples. He has all power, all authority, all enemies are under his feet, and we are seated with him, and God has been working before time, God has worked in time, and God will work through time for our good. That's exactly what he's trying to say to us this morning. Christ has won. Christ is victorious. But in the here and now, we wrestle. We struggle with principalities and powers that ultimately be, will be defeated 
that are defeated at the cross. Sometimes the battle rages. And what the Apostle Paul is saying to us this morning is this. Remember who Jesus is and remember what he's done. He's lavished spiritual blessings on those of us who are in Christ. Now, we need to understand that little phrase, in Christ. This is Paul's favorite way of saying the believers or Christians. You see, whenever he's writing this, this letter, the word Christian was only used as a derogatory term. It's only found once in the book of Acts, and it was used as a derogatory term. But Paul's favorite word for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ is this. You are in Christ. Now follow me, all right? If you've got your Bible, in verse 3 it says we are in Christ. In verse 4, we are in him. In verse 6, in the one that he loves, in the beloved. Some of your translations will read verse 7, in him. Verse 9, in Christ. Verse 11, in him. Verse 12, in Christ. Verse 13, in Christ. Verse 13, in Christ. He's making a point here. What he's writing to, the people that he's writing to have had a change of life completely, and they are now in Christ Jesus. I was at my study across the way in the hall this morning, reading over this before I come over into the sanctuary, and, and I'm sitting at my desk, and I'm looking at some envelopes that are, that are over on um, the cabinet. Some of you may remember this time last year, I had some envelopes, and I thought to myself, Boy, that explains it exactly the way I want to say it this morning. Do you remember that little envelope? This is me. This is me. All right? Whenever I ask Jesus Christ into my heart, something has happened. Grace comes to me, and God's grace enters into my life, and there comes a point where I ask Jesus into my heart, and whenever I ask Jesus into my heart, not only do I get Jesus, but I get the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes into my life, and the Apostle Paul says, I am now a different person. Why? Because Jesus Christ is in me, and there's a difference. But then Jesus went and said something else. He says, not only are you, you and uh, am I in you, but you are in me. We're in Christ. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here over and over and over again. We are in him. We are in the beloved. We are in Christ. And then we discovered in Romans chapter 8, when we were looking at all of this, that not only are we in Jesus, but Jesus is in God. And whenever we be belong, oh, there's another one forgot about that. What? We are in God and we discovered that we are surrounded by his love. And the reason why we're surrounded by his love is because he has, this is getting worse, adopted us into his family. We're part of the family of God. And then we discovered right at the end of 
Romans chapter 8, that he is our protector, our provider, our defender, our keeper. Boy, what a difference it makes. When you are in Christ Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus. But here's what Paul says. He did this. He did all of this in Christ. So what has God done before time? Let's take a look at the rest of the little section, first section. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now, before time, there's before the world was created, that old phrase is used in several places in the New Testament. I want to I want to bring two others to you this morning. The first one is is in John chapter seventeen, verse twenty four. Jesus is praying, and he's praying to his Father, and he says, Father, I want those that you have given me, those who are in me, to be with me where I am, and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me, because, look at this, you loved me before the creation of the world. All right? So first thing there I want you to notice is that God has given Jesus glory and he loves, loved him before the creation of the world. Now the second one comes from 1 Peter 1.20 and Peter writes and he said, he, that's Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So what he's he's saying to us is that the Father loved the Son but chose to reveal him to us in time for our benefit. And then Paul says here in uh, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, God had a salvation plan long before he even created the world. God knew that men would fall into sin. And every single one of us would go our own way. But he had a plan. Long before he created the world, the cross was always in the heart of God. And he loved his son dearly. 
but he chose to reveal him in time for our sake. And the reason why he did that is there in verse 3, in verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world so that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. So that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. What an amazing God we serve. He planned to pay the price of our sin by sending Jesus, his beloved son, to die for us. Now, there's a couple of little words here that might make some of us a little bit uncomfortable, and I want to deal with them, all right? The first one is this. He chose us before the creation of the world. And the other one is he predestined us. But you can't stop at the end of the word. You've got to read on. We were chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. So being in Christ with all of this work done in our lives means that we need to live our lives differently than everybody else, those outside of Christ. We've got to live our lives differently. Why? Because we're no longer the same. And there's a refining work of the Holy Spirit that's going on in our lives. We're chosen to model Christ-likeness to a world that is broken. We're to do what the nation of Israel failed to do. We're to bring the nations of the world to God. And we are predestined for adoption. God chose us to be his children. Now, we're not children by creation. We are children by redemption. And I want to say this quite categorically here, and there may be some people who, who disagree with me. And if you disagree with me, you feel free to do this. <laughs> That's all right. You can, you can choose to do that if you want. All right? But we've been predestined to be for adoption. God chose to make us his children. And we are children by redemption. Now here's the thing you may disagree with me. And that's all right. God didn't choose some people to be his children. And some people not to be his children and to send them to hell. If that's the case, then John 3.16 is a lie. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died for all mankind and Jesus died for me. But it's the work of the Holy Spirit to draw people to Jesus. And the one thing that separates people from God, that makes them outside of Christ, 
is unbelief. They don't believe. There are individuals in the world who will say, I'm amazed that someone like you would believe that. Well, actual fact, I'm amazed that somebody like you would not believe it. Because I know what I was. I know what I was like before Jesus came into my life and made a difference in my life. I know what I was like. But I'm no longer the same. I'm a new creation in Jesus. Christians are not an elite group of people chosen and predestined before the world began to come together to sit together on a Sunday morning in cozy surroundings and sing songs. We've been chosen to be part of an army who serve the purposes of God and we're to be engaged in the struggle for the hearts and minds of those who are outside of Christ. And we do that by living differently. And it does matter to God how we as his children live our lives. So before time was created, before the fall ever happened, God loved his son, but God chose his son to redeem us. And verse 6 tells us that this is all of his grace. So what did God do in time? Well, we've got to read verses 7 to 12. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. In time, God sent Jesus to redeem us. Now that little word redeem is very interesting because it, it's, it's used of someone who is a close relative. You see, back in the Old Testament, here's what happened. I would get myself into trouble. That wouldn't be hard for me whether I lived in the Old Testament or, or now. But I would get myself into trouble. If I got myself into trouble, into financial trouble, I would have to sell myself into slavery. So if I owed you a debt and I couldn't pay it, I would, I would put, put myself into, into your hands and, and I would work off the debt. If the debt was big enough, Ruth would work for you as well. You'd get better, a better deal if she was working for you. And if it was a big enough debt, the kids and the grandchildren, they'd all work for you as well. But there was one 
who could come and pay the debt on my behalf. It would need to be somebody related to me. And a near relative, a near kinsman, the Goel, the kinsman redeemer would come along and he would say, let's wipe this debt out completely. And me and Ruth and the kids and the grandchildren, we'd all be redeemed. That's the image that Paul is using of Jesus here. Jesus comes in the flesh by the will of God. He comes as a near kinsman, one like us. That's why it was important that God would become flesh and dwell among us so that he would be a near kinsman for us, so that he could pay the cost of our redemption and we would be set free. And Paul says, here's how he did it. He redeemed us through his blood. Now the imagery here is taken from the Old Testament sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, God allowed innocent animals to take the death penalty for human sin. That's why whenever Jesus appears at the River Jordan and John's baptizing, he looks up and he sees him and here's what he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Here's the one who's coming as the Lamb of God who is going to take away our sin and he's going to be slain once for all, for all time. And Jesus' blood is going to set people free. We are redeemed this morning by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And through his death, we get to experience the forgiveness of sin. Are you in Christ? Do you remember whenever you came with the burden of sin and you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life and forgive you? If you were anything like me, a weight rolled off you that day and you knew that something Something amazing had happened in your life. Ah, I want to tell you this morning, we need to go back there. As often as you possibly can, go back there. Remember who you were, what you were, where you were, what was going on in your life. Whenever Jesus came into your life and transformed your life completely. We need to, to rediscover again the wonder of what Jesus has done for us. John writes in, in 1 John 9 that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we're told here by the Apostle Paul that in Christ, God forgives sin according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. We picture there's like a geezer that nobody can stop. And it looks as though it's never ending. And so it is. The grace of God to us is never ending. And along with salvation, Paul says here, we get wisdom and we get understanding. Boy, I, I remember sitting in Sunday school class. I think those of you who have heard my testimony know that 
Sunday was the worst day of my, my week whenever I was a kid. Sent to Presbyterian Sunday school at 10 o'clock. Then we went on to Sunday school, went to my granny's for a bowl of soup, broth. And then she, she thought it would be good if we got a wee bit of religion and she sent us to the Salvation Army at half one. And then we went to the afternoon Presbyterian Sunday school at three o'clock and then we caught the gospel hall at a quarter past four on our way home. And, and, and it, for all that those Sunday school teachers prayed over me and, and, and taught me Bible verses and all the rest of it, none of it made sense until the day that Jesus Christ walked into my life. And it all fell into place. And there are times whenever I'm standing up here and I'm preaching and there's a verse of scripture that comes to me and I quote this verse of scripture and I'm amazed myself. And I think to myself, where did that come from? I'll tell you where it came from. I learned it when I was a child and it didn't make sense to me then. But it all came together. We get wisdom and understanding whenever we're born again of the Spirit of God. And here, then he says, then you can understand the mystery of his will. I don't want to spend too long on that because um, we're going to look at that in chapter two. The mystery of his will is very simple. Here's the mystery of his will. You ready? We're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no Jews, there's no Gentiles, there's no male, there's no female. The mystery of his will that we are all one together. We are united together in Christ Jesus. And he talks about, in verse 12, the Jews receiving all of this first, the gospel message. And that's to prepare us for what he's going to say in verses 13 and 14. So we better have a look at that because this is what God does for us through time. And you also, you Gentiles, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal the promised Holy Spirit that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Gentiles in Ephesus were also included in God's plan of salvation. Drawn to Jesus by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And and. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing in anybody's life of any significance spiritually happens without the Holy Spirit being involved. And the character of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself. The character of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus, to point us to his teaching, to point us to his words, to point us to the miraculous things that Christ accomplished. The spotlight is always on Jesus. And Jesus said that that's exactly what he would do. He said, I'm going away, but my father will send another comforter to you. When he comes, he'll help you to remember everything that I have told you. He told them that the Holy Spirit would be with them. He told them that the Holy Spirit would be in them. And Paul says here that each one of us is sealed by the Holy Spirit. He's the deposit of something that is yet to be revealed in us. And that is our 
complete salvation. Now, I'm going to use a big word here. There's an eschatological truth here. All right? That, that just means that there is an end time thing that he's talking about here. Let me, let me explain it to you like this. Are you in Christ this morning? Answer that in your heart. Are you in Christ? You can answer that, right? If you can say, yes, I'm in Christ, you were saved. You know when you were saved. You know when you were saved. You knew where you were when you were saved. Are you in Christ this morning? Then you are being saved. That's what he's saying. There was a time when you were saved. You are now being saved. But there's going to be a day when our salvation is complete. And when we see him, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. There's going to be a day whenever we stand before Jesus, when we're finally saved. And the one who works that work in the life of the believer is the Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee of our inheritance in Christ. One sentence. Boy, he says an awful lot in one sentence, doesn't he? Starts out here before time begins and he ends up here whenever we're all in heaven with Jesus. But in between the two of those points, he prays this prayer. Good words. Good words, Lord. Here's the reason why I'm giving you good words. Because you... The Son and the Holy Spirit have been active in a plan that was initiated long before the world began. And Jesus did something miraculous for us by entering into time and paying the price for our redemption. And the Holy Spirit, He comes to make that work known to all mankind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Is it yours this morning? Is everlasting life yours? Are you sure about it? Do you know about it? Do you know of a certainty that you are in Christ? If you have any doubts, the Holy Spirit can point you to Jesus this morning and you can go home knowing of certainty that you are born again of the Spirit of God. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Old things become new. You can be a new person in Jesus this morning. Let me pray with you. Father, I really don't know how one human could write such truth in such a short space of time. It's taken me over half an hour to try and talk about one sentence. But that's the reality of your work in an individual's life. You took someone who was totally opposed to you, someone who was, who was destroying your church, and you came alive in his heart and you transformed him by the power of your spirit. And Lord, if you can do that for 
Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. You can do it for anybody that's here this morning. And Lord, I pray that there would be individuals that would turn to you today and to find that what has been talked about this morning is gospel truth. And Lord, in the world in which we live, where bad things happen, and sometimes it seems as though our lives are out of control, help us to go back to the truth that Paul has shared with the Ephesians here this morning. God is in control. And in the bad times and in the difficult times, may that be enough to steady us and to help us to stand strong in Jesus. Because this time will end but eternity will go on forever. And we were created before the foundation of this world to be adopted into the family of God. Lord, may belief rise in our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Stand up. Praise band, come.